Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. How the tech are you? And, uh, you know, I've noticed something. Everyone notices this. This doesn't make me special. But every now and again, trends have this tendency to repeat themselves. You know, you see things that were trendy once upon a time fade away and then years later kind of get a renaissance. And trends that are really rooted in nostalgia do this a lot. So I thought it would be cool to talk about something that occasionally becomes trendy, and that is 8-bit music or chiptunes. And these are things that often find their way into various types of pop culture. Sometimes there's a resurgence in the style. Uh, Sometimes music will reference this kind of stuff, either directly or indirectly. But first, we got to figure out what the heck we're talking about, right? Well, we're really talking about that distinctive kind of electronic music that sounds like it came straight from a classic video game. Perhaps in the old Nintendo Entertainment System era. Really, the NES era is like the golden age for the 8-bit sound. It would sound something like this. 
That was Canon in D for 8-Bit Synths by Kevin McLeod. Uh, you've likely heard a lot of McLeod's work online. His website, Incompetech, is a popular source for royalty-free music. This particular piece really touches on the features that make 8-bit music distinctive. Now, there's one thing that we really should clear up right away. The reason music like what you just heard sounds the way it sounds is not specifically because the chip responsible was an 8-bit chip. The 8-bit designation tells us that the chip is able to store and process a maximum of 8 bits per data block. And a bit, just to remind you, is the basic unit of digital information. It can be represented as a zero or as a one, or off and on, as I often say. Now, if you have eight bits strung together, you can represent up to 256 different values, from zero up to 255. Now, the 8-bit designation really did have a big impact on software. It limited what you could do graphically and computationally, but really when it comes to the sound generated by systems like the classic NES, the factors that shaped that sound weren't directly tied to the fact that the chipset had an 8-bit word size capability to them. But the reason for that distinctive sound is really due to the microchips used in classic gaming consoles and the types of sounds that they were capable of generating. For example, the Atari 2600 had a chip called the Television Interface Adapter, or TIA, or TIA. Uh, this chip was responsible for quite a few jobs, actually. It served as the interface for inputs coming into the console from the controllers. So in other words, it was what was responsible for making Pac-Man go up when you pushed up on the joystick. It was also responsible for generating what you saw on your television screen. And it was also in charge of generating sound effects. The Atari 2600 had two oscillator channels, essentially two audio channels, and it was really limited in what it was able to produce. One channel was essentially a pulse channel, which could produce different tones, and the other channel was a noise channel. You couldn't really program sophisticated music on it without jumping through a lot of programming hoops in order to play a specific note by using the pulse channel to play two detuned notes in quick succession. So in other words, rather than being able to produce, say, like a middle C, you're producing tones that are a little below and a little above middle C, and you're alternating them very quickly. And the vibrato effect makes us perceive a warbly middle C note. The noise channel would generate noise that would serve as percussion. It was pretty janky. For that reason, the vast majority of Atari 2600 games had no background music. They might have a little bit of intro music, and there were a couple of exceptions, notable ones in fact. Pitfall 2, for example, had an actual game soundtrack. And not only that, the soundtrack was dynamic, which meant the music would change depending upon what was going on in the game. 
this was a pretty tough thing to pull off from a programming standpoint back in those days, simply due to the limitations of the hardware. And in a way, those limitations ended up being a big part of what makes 8-bit and chiptune music so distinctive. The limitations force musicians to find ways to be creative and expressive within very tight boundaries. Now, sometimes restrictions lead creative types to do amazing work. Uh, for at least some types of creatives, being unbounded ends up being kind of a drawback. If you're told there are no limitations and you have nothing to push against, then uh, for a lot of creative people, including myself, it can actually paralyze you because you realize like there are no like when when there are no limitations and everything is on the table, you have to choose what you do, whereas restrictions limit your options, and it actually can make it easier to create. It seems counterintuitive, but for many people, that is the case, for myself included. So restrictions and boundaries create certain rules that you can play around within. Now, in the arcades, it was a different story from video game consoles. An arcade machine has a lot of specific circuitry. So your basic classic arcade machine is designed to play one game, and that's it. Uh, all the circuits in the arcade machine are the actual game itself. It's not running a program off a disc or a cartridge or a digital file. The actual game is hard-coded on the chips and circuitry. But arcade machines could incorporate multiple sound chips to increase the number of audio channels available and thus produce more sophisticated music. One very early example of such a game was a game called Vanguard which came out way back in 1981. The crazy thing about Vanguard, from a music perspective anyway, is that it was one of the first arcade games to make use of licensed music. Uh, for one thing, it used a bit of the theme from Star Trek The Motion Picture. That would end up being the same motif that would be used later on in Star Trek The Next Generation. It also incorporated a motif from the 1980 film Flash Gordon, which had a killer soundtrack composed by the band Queen. Specifically, the game has a chiptunes version of Voltan's theme from the movie, and it totally rules. Now, these chips could produce certain types of waveforms of audio, and typically these chips were very limited in that they could produce only one kind of waveform per chip or per audio channel, I should say, not chip, but audio channel. So let's talk a bit about oscillators and signals and waveforms. Now, first off, an oscillator is essentially an electronic circuit that generates a continuous output signal, and that's it. We typically see that output in the form of some sort of repeating curve or sinusoid. Uh, if you have familiarity with trigonometry, you likely are familiar with sinusoidal waves or sine waves. Uh, you've got a trigonometric function that, when plotted on a graph, generates this wave. Now, a simple sinusoidal wave produces waves that are equal length and amplitude. This is a very simple. This is like if you're producing a steady, unaltered signal. Like if you were just to produce the electronic equivalent of a C note. So you would have this steady frequency of identical waves. The frequency refers to the number of waves that pass a given point within a given amount of time. And we can plot sound waves 
like this too. Like electronic waves we can plot this way and sound waves we can plot this way. Uh, so that C note where you have a regular pitch and it's like a pure C note, there's no vibrato going on here. You're going to have a, a sine wave plotted to represent this, this sound wave where you have this very smooth curve where you have uh, uh, waves that are each the same wavelength and they're all at the same amplitude or height, which means it's all played at the same volume, the way we hear it. And it would be very pretty and neat. It would also be boring to listen to. Um, if you were to change the pitch of a sound, well, then that would mean that the frequency would go up and the wavelength of the waves would decrease. So you would have shorter waves and more waves would pass a given point within a certain amount of time. So the frequency increases. Lower pitches, it's the opposite. The waves would be longer and fewer would pass a given point in time um, or a given point within a given amount of time, I should say. And thus you would have a lower pitch. But with electronic oscillators, we can produce lots of different shapes of waves. And those different shapes can correspond with different sounds in the case of audio chips, that is. Keep in mind that Continuous signals can be used to produce all sorts of different stuff, not just audio. So when we come back, we'll talk about these different waveforms and what they can be used to do. But first, let's take this quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. 
In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. Now, I am not going to do a full deep dive into all the different kinds of waves that oscillators can produce because that would be a podcast all by itself. But let's talk about the basic forms that you found in, say, the NES, you know, the different audio channels and what they could produce and what those sound like. So in the case of electronic audio and synthesized audio, the shape of the waveform determines the timbre or character of a sound, the tone. So one type of waveform that's really important in the 8-bit sound genre is the square wave. Square waveforms in electronics are often used for stuff like clock timing signals. Uh, a sine wave, like I said, has a smooth curve, so it, uh, it rises and reaches a peak and then descends in a very smooth fashion. Square waves go from the zero point and they jump straight up to whatever their amplitude ends up being for however long the wavelength is. So it, there's no curve. It just goes from zero and then jumps straight up to whatever the amplitude is, stays that way for the length of the wave and then drops right back down to zero. So they look like squares when you plot them on a graph, thus the name square wave. Now in digital audio, that kind of wave produces those chirpy beep noises we think about with 8-bit or chiptune music. So these waveforms are typically used to create the sounds used to, to generate a melody in a musical piece in a video game. So uh, you usually do this in order to create the main melodic theme of whatever the piece is. The Nintendo Entertainment System, or the NES, had two channels capable of producing square waves. And by using both of the channels at the same time, you could create a warbly vibrato sound. You know, you could have one channel producing one pitch and the second channel producing a different pitch. And then you could, you know, slightly offset them so you would get that warbly sound. Or you could even create uh, a melody and harmony together and program each of those, those uh, uh, lines of, of data to produce different squares on their square waves. Now, next up, we have triangle waves. Triangle waves hate person waves. They get, have a fight, triangle wins. Triangle waves. And yeah, well, these triangle waves, when you plot on a graph or you display it on a monitor, they look like triangles. Uh, the wave rises very sharply to a point and then immediately descends afterward. And so they're not, it's not straight up and down like a square wave. It's at an angle, but it's at a sharp angle. So they look like triangles. Uh, these typically come in as a softer sound than square waves do. And they very often were used to generate a bass line for video game music. So you would produce lower pitched sounds. The NES third audio channel was dedicated to creating triangle waves. So if you're keeping count, the NES had two channels that would produce square waves, typically for melody, maybe harmony. And then a third one that was used to produce triangle waves for the bass lines. Then the NES had a noise channel, and that would produce noise, which really just means a signal that contains a certain range of frequencies, all the frequencies within a given spectrum, 
and all those frequencies would all be played at the same amplitude or volume. So there's no note in noise. Or you could say there are all the notes within a given spectrum that are all played at the same volume. So you can't pick any single note out and it just becomes noise. Uh, I associate noise with static, but then I also realize this is something that dates me because these days you don't encounter static in the wild anymore, right? It's used as an effect in many cases, but it's not like you, you're switching channels on your television and you hit static and you get that noise. Anyway, noise was usually used to create percussive beats for a song. So the NES's fourth audio channel would do just that. It was used as a percussion track. The NES also had a fifth audio channel, which was dedicated to playing very short clips of sampled sounds. So these were sounds that you could record in the real world and play back in a digitized format. And this channel could play back stuff that included digitized speech. Now, here is where that 8-bit limitation actually does come in. In the previous examples, we're really talking about the waveform being what is important to create that distinctive 8-bit audio. But when it comes to digitized speech, the 8-bit limitation actually plays a big part in it. Uh, if you listen to digitized speech from the NES era, you're going to hear there's a lot of noise introduced in that speech. Like, it's not a clear recording. Uh, if you were a fan of the classic Gauntlet games, I'm talking about the original versions of Gauntlet, not like remasters or anything, you probably remember there was a digitized voice with a lot of noise in it that would say things like, Red Warrior, your life force is running out, or Green Elf shot the food, because the digitized narrator of that game was a total snitch. Anyway, if you remember what that sounded like, you remember there was this noisy element to the speech. And again, that was largely because of the limitations of 8-bit technology. That would improve over time. So when we get to stuff like chip tunes or modern music that replicates the sound of these video games, we're really talking about musicians using digital instruments or even computer workstations to generate those classic waveforms from the NES video game era and thereabouts, the triangle waves and the square waves. It's not about slapping an 8-bit chip into a digital amplifier or something. It's rather creating those very specific continuous signals in order to get the sounds you want. Uh, they sound pretty darn cool, if you ask me, but I'm also a guy who's going into his late 40s, so it really hits a nostalgic place for yours truly. Anyway, I thought it would be interesting to kind of touch on what makes those sounds unique and what gives them the quality that we associate with them. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have suggestions for future topics, feel free to reach out to me. One way you can do that is on Twitter. The handle for the show is techstuffhsw. Another thing you could do is you can go to the iHeartRadio app and use the talkback feature on the Tech Stuff page and let me know. In fact, if there's a specific like classic video game soundtrack that you really love, like there's something um, in that 8-bit music genre that speaks to you, I want to hear which one is your favorite because I have my favorites. I don't want to influence anybody else. I really want to hear. And maybe it'll be a game I'm not familiar with and I'll get to discover music that I really love that I'd never heard before. So if you have suggestions like that, 
Use that talkback feature. You can record a sound clip of up to 30 seconds and I will see it in our little dashboard and I'll be able to listen to it. And heck, if we get enough cool responses, I can even include those in a future episode. All right, that's it. Hope you have a great day. I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.